welcome to the return of Project MK Got You. As always, I'm your host, Carrie, with... It's true. We were not kidnapped. We are alive. We're back. Oh, yeah. And I'm Chris. Yeah, we just took a little sabbatical, y'all. Y'all know how rough the holidays are, and then you got seasonal depression layered in on that, plus the weather's shitty, plus you're just really lazy and don't really want to do anything. Yeah, it's, it's a combination of shitty factors, and but mainly laziness. Mainly laziness, yeah. We just keep... Uh, Putting this off. So we're back. We're back. We're, good. we're uh, coming to you. Um, this week, uh, I'm doing kind of a, kind of like the best of both. It's like my two worlds mesh. Like I really love comedy and I really love murder. And like this episode just <laughs> they go combines them. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about the haunting of the comedy store. Now, have you ever been to the comedy store? It's like a spot in L.A. Yeah, it's off of Sunset Strip. It was like right near our friend's apartment when we went to L.A. So oh, like, it's like right it's near right like Hollywood. Yeah, it's on, like, it's on the Sunset like Strip. Like Hollywood. Yeah. So okay. uh, my resources for this week's episode is uh, the dailybruin.com, um, ex- <clears throat> explore.com, explore. Sorry, I'm saying that totally wrong. What is that, some Latin? <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, ghost.hauntedhouses.com. And the main reason I picked this one is because I watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode from 1996 about this recently. And I was like, why have we never done the comedy store? It's like kind of the best, one of the best uh, hauntings out there. At least I think. I mean, you know. Um, so let's just, uh, let's dive in. Sorry, you guys, we're like still dusting off the cobwebs and like still like not a hundred percent. Um, talking is difficult. Talking is hard for like me. Flap your mouth and move it's your tongue. And, yeah. yeah. You have to read and talk at the same time. It's which like multitasking. I'm, not at, I'm not good at either. And I'm reading my own writing, which I'm really not good at. So <laughs> we're just like fucked. Um, all right, let's dive in. So, the history of the comedy store. So, in the 1930s, it was Ciro's, um, which was a mafia-owned and run nightclub on the Sunset Strip. And apparently, apparently the mob really liked to use the Sunset Strip because back then it was considered unincorporated territory. So, the LAPD didn't have any jurisdiction there. Oh, wow. So, like, during Prohibition and stuff like that, they would... Um, yeah, run like speakeasies and all that stuff. So, um, so this kind of like gives us a little idea of like the comedy store's dark past. Um, the basement of Sierra's was known as the torture room. Oh, that's uh, cute. Anyone who was per- perceived to have committed wrong against the mob was taken to the underbelly of the building where their fate would be decided. The lucky ones had their kneecaps smashed or their thumbs broken, and others were never seen again. Yeah. Well, that's cute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also, the basement was utilized. Oh my gosh, utilized. Wow. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yep, big word. As an illegal abortion clinic in like the 1930s. And wow, stuff. Yeah. such like a colorful. Yeah, establishment. Yeah. Yeah. So, a woman who claimed to be a nurse performed the procedures in the dimly lit bowel. Claimed yeah, to be a nurse. So she performed these procedures in the basement of Sierra's um, due in part to the unsterile environment and questionable qualification of the abortionist. 
Many of the women that were sent there to end their unwanted pregnancies died on the table. Um, so, you know, not, wow. not a super happy place, but it's really crazy too, because like you, if you look back at the like pictures from like the 1930s and 40s, like everyone was there, like A-list, A-list people. But I mean, we know that a lot of A-list people were in with the mob too in Hollywood. The mob's kind of has a deep root. We should actually do, sure. we should do an episode on the mob in Hollywood. It's like really fascinating. The mob was everywhere. The mob, mob was like, everywhere. Like, Vegas and, like, Hollywood. Yeah, like. when I was in Vegas, they have a mob museum there. Um, I didn't go to it, though, because I was too busy wanting shmoney. Um, okay, let's fast forward. <laughs> so, let's fast forward to 1972. The comedy store was opened by comedians Rudy DeLuca and Sammy Shore, hmm. a.k.a. Polly Shore's dad and mom. Shut the front door, really? Yeah. Mitzi Shore ran the store. Um, I bet Polly Shore was like the biggest disappointment to his dad. He had a really big career. I'm just being a hater. No, I actually love Polly Shore. I love Polly Shore. Salty. I know, you're a salty bitch. I love Polly Shore. (laughs) Like, what's the one where he marries the farmer's daughter or son in law? Oh, my. I actually really love that one, too. Yeah. He's like an eighth year, like, super senior. Super senior, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm your residential advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So, um,. So it was opened by Rudy DeLuca and Sammy Shore. Their dream was to turn the club into a showcase for comedians like themselves who needed a place to perfect their craft. Shore and DeLuca set to work turning the club into a desirable place for performers and audiences alike. Although it was a relatively small venue, less seating than 100 people, they tried to find the best talent possible to attract crowds. Things were going as planned and the club was making progress when in 1973, Sammy Shore and his wife divorced, a.k.a. Mitzi Shore. Mitzi Shore passed away in 2018, but she took over operations at the comedy store as part of their divorce agreement. She would later buy the building outright and expand it to seat over 400 guests. By 1976, the comedy store was a force to be reckoned with. A-list celebrities even asked to book the newly renovated club for their lavish weddings. The popular night spot became one of the go-to spots along the Sunset Strip for artists and patrons alike. Throughout the coming years, comedians flocked to Mitzi's club for the chance to perform in front of a full house every night. So. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. So I can't really get into like, so there's like several entities apparently that live in the comedy or haunt the comedy store. And I can't tell the story with one without mentioning the writer's strike. So mm. there was a comedian strike, which ended when Mitzi agreed to pay some of her. Or, <clears throat> so there was a, a comedian strike because when they first started the comedy store, they weren't paying their com- their comedians like they were just using it as like a space for them to like work out their material and stuff. Um, so basically what happened was all these like comedians went on strike because they were like, fuck you, pay us because we're the people that are well, yeah. we're attracting the crowds. So. This went on, um, so basically it finally ended when Mitzi agreed to pay, um, pay like a, I mean, it wasn't that great. I mean, I think yeah. they got paid like $15 an hour or something, even after I mean, that, good but it's like better than, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when you're a comedian and you're only going up and you're doing like five minute spots, 10 minute spots, stuff like that. Cause like when you start out at the comedy store, you do f- like two to five minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's fuck. like one day a a week or a couple days a week. Well, no, it's like every night. Oh, for real? Yeah, like they they operate pretty much like every night. Um, 
So, but after the strike was over, Mitzi was still, like, kind of upset with the more vocal comedians that were speaking out about it. Um, and so those comedians were actually ber- permanently banned um, from the comedy store forever. So as a result... <laughs> yeah, fuck you for wanting to eat. Yeah, so that brings me to the story of Steve Lubetkin. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, as his final act on Earth, Lubetkin leapt from the roof of the Continental Hyatt House, a hotel which was located next door to the comedy store. His intention had been to land on the top of Mitzi's club, but he missed his mark and instead ended up in the in the lot. The suicide note that he left re- left behind simply read, My name is Steve Lubeckin. I used to work at the comedy store. Wow. Yeah. It is believed that um, he is one of the ghosts that haunts the comedy store. Several staff members and comedians claim that uh, someone pulls pranks on them from time to time that are reminiscent of the tragic comedian. Back in the day, Steve was known as a jokester who loved to have fun with the club's employees. He or someone who looks remarkably like him has been spotted on countless nights observing new comedians as they perform their acts. It appears defiant to the end, Steve is once again part of the comedy store family. That's so sad. Oh, that's a funny ghost. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's like a prank. So, yeah, okay. So we're going to get to the eyewitness accounts now. So there's like several different like entities at play here. Um and like they all have theories on who they who or what they think they are. Um, one eyewitness account, the general manager Jody Barton said that some employees once playfully experimented with a Ouija board. Suppose supposedly the door to the side of the staircase flew open and they all fled in fear. Another time, one of the employees thought they saw someone staring in through the door's rectangular window, but when they went to open the door, the prying person drifted up and away. One ghost has even been known to walk through the tables arranged in the main room, according to Mike Schmidt, one of the comedy store's development comics. Okay, so you know Sam Kinison, like the biggest comic from like the 80s, big loud dude. He was like the rock star of comedy. I'd probably like, recognize him. Oh, you would totally recognize him. He's the goat. He's amazing. Well, apparently he like really attracted negative like energy from these entities for whatever reason. So Sam Kinison had been a Pentecostal preacher, which I didn't know that because <laughs> he was like crazy, like coked out, like wild man of a comic. So I had no idea. Well, about he has all that pent up energy from being a preacher. Yeah. Well, apparently like what happened is he used to be like super normal and then he like hit his head or something. And then he, his personality just completely changed and he became a comedian. I'm not even kidding. Like, maybe, maybe that's his true. Apparently normal. that's what happened. Yeah. So um, Sam Kennison had, so a theory is of why they fuck with him so hard is because he had been a Pentecostal preacher before turning his sights towards stand-up comedy. His style in the pulpit had meant to start out quietly and then crescendo into a verbal assault that would leave his congregation wondering what hit them. Unfortunately for Kennison, his dramatic way of delivering the word of God was not popular among many of the parishioners. <clears throat> the abrasiveness that had alienated his flock would soon become his trademark in his world of comedy. It would, in fact, help him to make a comedy legend. Oh my gosh, sorry. Would help him become a comedy legend. I can't talk today. Uh, by 1980, Kinnison was a favorite at the comedy store, at least among the paying customers. For reasons no one could explain, the resident spirits had taken a dis- disliking to this loud comedian right from the start. Everyone hates on the Yankees, on the Patriots. Yeah, I guess. They're like the best. Yeah, no, he was like the shit. 
Uh, they would take great pains to deal derail his shows. For instance, sometimes the lights on stage would flicker during his performance. On other occasions, the sound system would go out, effectively silencing Kinnison in the middle of the show. One night, and this is true story. Like there were literally patrons in the it room when only, this happened. It ha- only happens to him, or like predominantly. No, no they just fuck with him super. But this like yeah. happened in front of a crowd one night. So one night. As soon as Kennison had stepped onto the stage, a swarm of angry voices began to fill the room. The voices were seething, and they repeatedly, repeatedly same, uh, said the same exclamation over and over again. It's him. It's him. The bitter tirade grew louder and louder as the comedian attempted to get through his material. Everyone present that night could hear the voices as they echoed throughout the room, but no one could find the source of the disturbance. Whoever the hecklers were that night, they were invisible to both the performer and the audience. Having... His fill of the entity, these entities, who obviously hated him, Kennison demanded that they show themselves. At that precise moment, every light in the showroom went out. As a result, the entire theater was plunged into complete darkness. They had, quite effectively, driven Kennison from the stage. No one ever knew for sure why the spirits destined Kennison above, or detested Kennison above all others, but it may have something to do with his religious background. Sam, after all, had been a fire and brimstone type preacher for several years. Perhaps they targeted him because of his deeply held faith. Whatever the reason, they made his life at the comedy store as miserable as they possibly could. How fucking gnarly is that? Yeah, that this is like eyewitness accounts. Like this is a, a full house of people who could full like corroborate the story. Right. That's crazy. I I thought you were going to say a swarm of angry bees, but... Oh my god, that would be so gnarly. (laughs) That would be even... Yeah. Like, what was that movie? The Amityville Horror was a swarm of flies, just like, you know, after the priest. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, that's... uh, That's like a plague type stuff, like locust frogs. Oh, yeah, like in The Mummy. Oh, Um, So on another occasion, Blake Clark... And another comedian named Joey Gaynor encountered something in the basement that they could not explain. They both witnessed a black form, at least seven feet tall, float across the floor. Terrified, the two men ran upstairs and straight out of the building onto Sunset Boulevard. After regaining their wits, the men decided to return to the basement to see if the ghostly creature they had seen was real or a figment of their imaginations. Upon descending the basement stairs, they spied the creature crouched in a corner. When it sensed their presence, it rose. It slowly rose up and made a beeline for them. Again, they ran for their lives, but not before noticing that the being only had a dark void where its face should have been. Well, dun, dun, creepy. Dun. Yeah, so crazy. So, on another occasion with the same dude... Um, his name blake uh blake clark so um he was not only was he a comedian there but he was also a security guard so acting upon his duties as a security guard he had gone um into the uh, into the basement another time to investigate a series of strange noises that were so loud that they could be hear heard upstairs in the main room it was three o'clock in the morning when he cautiously made his way down the basement stairs. By himself? Yeah. Never, You never no. do that. Have you never watched a movie? I mean, he's a security guard. Isn't that kind of what they do? Yeah. What, what does he have? Like a whistle? Uh, nah, yeah. I don't even think yeah. that. It's, I mean, he works at the comedy store. He's essentially yeah. a bouncer. Yeah. Yeah. So probably not even that. Um, so anyway, um, he made his way down to the basement. When he reached his destination, he could hear a guttural growl 
emanating from somewhere in the shadows. Suddenly, he heard something strike the basement door so violently that it bowed the door outwards. To Clark, it looked... Nope. Yeah, right? To Clark, it looked as though someone was pushing on the door with such force that it actually was bending the wood. He wasted no time fleeing the basement for the relative safety of the upper level. Clark would return to the basement one last time while checking out the mysterious noises again. Clark watched as a black piece of paper materialized from thin air, gently touching his hand as it floated to the floor. When he picked it up, he saw one word had been etched onto the phantom paper. His name. He never stepped foot in the basement ever again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, that's it. <laughs> Done. Right? So You win. You win, Ghost. Crazy. Check me. And he actually, if you go back and you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode of this, he's like one of the talking heads in it that like telling all the stories and stuff. So mm-hmm. they worked there for years. I don't know if this guy is still alive or not. To be honest, that was like just like his name, like crossed out. Like, oh, I should have followed up and seen seen if he's still alive or if he was killed on the premises. Um, so another time, Blake Clark came into contact with another one of the club's resident ghosts. Was one day when he was relaxing in the back room, he was playing a video game when he suddenly became aware that someone had joined him. He looked up to see a man dressed in a World War II bomber jacket standing across the room. Clark realized immediately that there was something odd about this visitor. His suspicions were confirmed when he attempted to speak to the man. It was later that it was then that the image before him began to fade away before completely vanishing without a trace. Later that same day, a woman working in one of the building's offices also encountered the man and the bomber jacket. When she saw him, he was hiding on the third floor, crouched in a corner with a look of terror on his face. He disappeared before her eyes, just as he had done with Blake Clark. Creepy, right? So apparently several male entities frequently appear in the main room of the club. They seem to be acting as security. They are known to walk around inspecting the crowd and keeping eyes on the stage. They are, they are said to always be dressed in clothing from the 1940s. The men hang around for a while until they are satisfied that everything is on the up and up. Once their job is done, they fade from sight. Another, sorry, this is the eight. This is like a regular thing that happens. Yeah, this is like, this is seriously how often this happens. Um, Clark recalls one night when he saw a chair glide 20 feet across an otherwise empty stage as though being pulled, being pulled and pushed by unseen hands. He and Joey Gaynor also witnessed chairs, which had only moments earlier been propped up in their proper places around the dining table, stacked on top of each other in the middle of the room. So, like, and they, they show this part on the Unsolved Mysteries, too. So, like, literally the, di- the dining room is normal. There's all the chairs around it. They, like, do something. They turn back around, and all the chairs are piled in the middle of the room. Oh, shit. This How is, like, some Ghostbusters type terrifying. shit. terrifying. I wonder if Ghostbusters was inspired by these crazy... Actually, Ghostbusters um, was inspired... Okay, so what's the... Dan Aykroyd from yeah. Ghostbusters. So his family has, like a super long tradition through generations of their family in paranormal investigating. And that's oh, actually okay. why I started it. Yeah. They're like, actually like his mom saw UFOs. He's seen UFOs. Yeah. He's like a real big believer. We have to do an episode on him too. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. It's really okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, sorry to bring you on a tangent. But uh, a little tangent. Nice little let me tell you. Also, I heard his crystal head vodka is quite delightful. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> I would buy it just for the bottle. It looks really cool. It really does. Um, okay, so yeah, the chairs were in the middle of the room. 
So Joey demanded at one point that the spirits come out and make their presence known. In response, an ashtray rose up off one of the tables and hurled itself directly at his head. Narrowly missed, <laughs> it narrowly missed hitting him dead on the face. Instead, really it smashed against yeah. the wall behind him. Yeah. So apparently several famed psychic investigators have explored the comedy store looking for answers as to whom or what is haunting the establishment. These seasoned professionals were not immune to the happenings at the club. They witnessed coins falling from the ceiling during one of their visits. On another occasion, one of the investigators experienced excruciating leg pain while in the basement. He likened that to someone having their legs broken since the basement was used as a torture room. Uh, while on the phone taking it on a business call, Comedy Store Vice President Michael and the employee who sits at his desk across from him both saw a man dressed in 40s attire walk between their desks, glancing at them, perhaps checking on their work habits. He disappeared as they left their office. Uh, he dis- Oh my gosh. He disappeared as he left their office space. Just a few seconds after seeing this entity, both Michael and his employee dashed through the doorway, following the entity on patrol into the adjacent office. The employee there didn't see anyone living come through his office. Which I'm like, okay, you didn't see anybody living, but that's not what we're asking you, ho. We're asking you to see a ghost come through here. Like, the fuck? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. So, the comedy store is still in business and doing quite well. Um, it remains a place where comedians of all levels can, all levels of fame can showcase their material in front of a captive audience. Although they are... It's ha- got to be good if you'll put up with all this spooky, so, scary shit. Yeah. Seriously. Although they are happy to perform on the club stages, there are several comedians who refuse to enter other areas of the building. The basement, whose reputation precedes it, is considered awful in its by all but the bravest of souls. You just break off yeah. the basement. I would so, just like cement wall and just like... Yeah. And so, you know, everybody loves Joe Rogan. He's one of the resident comedians at the comedy store. Okay. Um, and there's actually a snippet if you just Google, like, is the comedy store haunted? He talks about it, like, several different times on his podcast. He's like, dude, if fucking... He's like, I don't know if haunting's real. He's like, that basement, like, you feel fucking, like heavy like it like it feels dark and like terrifying like so like even and Joe, Joe Rogan's like a he's big, a big dude he, he's like a skeptical like a total like skeptic yeah. and he's like an MMA fighter like right. he can handle himself so if he if he's kind of if he's scared yeah and if you guys are sure or if you guys are still not understanding like how important the comedy store is here's some of the famous people that got their start there Jerry Seinfeld Richard Pryor Roseanne Barr Chevy Chase Jim Carrey, Billy Crystal, Ellen DeGeneres, Sam Kinison, Robin Williams, Jay Leno, ugh, Jay Leno, Jay Leno, Arsenio Hall, Andrew Dice Clay, and Louis C.K. When I did the night that I wrote That's this, like a who's who of yeah, like the last forty years. The of night, <laughs> the night that I wrote uh, the outline for this episode, I was like, I wonder who's playing there tonight. The comedian that was just up, or the the lineup that was just oh my gosh, the weekly lineup that just happened last Tuesday consisted of. Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, Chris D'Elia, Ron White, and Brian Callen. Also, honorable mention to Tony Hinchcliffe, who started performing there in 2007 and still hosts his podcast, Kill Tony, from the club's belly room. Um, and you can also see Kill Tony on tour. Go to Kill Tony's website. I love those guys. They're great. <laughs> and that is the story of the haunting of the comedy store. What do you think? 
Um, I thought there would be like more like spooky shit. Like that's a pretty spooky <laughs> shit. No, no, There's a seven shit. foot entity <laughs> with a void where his face should be, like running after people. That's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like what really scared me is like the chairs. It's like you look away, you look back, and feel like everything's changed. Like, yeah. yeah, that's kind of shit. Apparently, that happens there a lot. Like all the waitresses have reported stuff like that happening too. Like they'll literally like set up the whole dining room, getting ready for like the people to show up for the show. And they'll, like, leave the room and they'll come back and all the chairs will be flipped back up on the tables, like, how it was when they cleaned. They got broken down. Isn't that that's so, oh, that's so terrible. Hey, is that, like, part of the appeal? People go there because No, like, that's is? the thing. It's, like, not a lot of people talk about it. Like, I, I, I mean, obviously, like, people have done articles on it and it was on Unsolved Mysteries in 1996. But other than that, like, I didn't even know the, com- the, the way I found out that the comedy store was haunted was through Joe Rogan's podcast because... Like somebody, another fellow comedian was like, "You really think it's haunted here?" He was like, "Dude, I don't know." He was like, "Fuck it." Yeah, he was like, "It feels fucking weird in there." Um, And then once you dive in the background of the mob owning that building, using it for illegal abortions, and apparently there was also a brothel that was next door, which Mm -hmm. was run by like the same like mob crew. Um, So that's where like a lot of the girls that needed abortions came from and stuff like that. So like. As a yeah. really, 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 it was like sick. the same building. It wasn't. Yeah, like... it was called Ciro's when it was open there, and apparently Ciro's was the shit because I read in one article that when they opened in the 1930s, they had a glass dance floor that was filled with fish, like live fish. Oh, I've and heard the, about in that. In the 1930s, yeah. like mad money. So we definitely need to do like another episode on like the mob in Hollywood because. The prohibition stuff and like the speakeasy stuff is like fascinating to me. Like apparently, like real big players hung out at Sarah's. Like the mobsters, like a Muggsy, Muggsy Bones. What is his name? Sorry, guys. I I did this outline last week. I cannot remember the research (laughs) now. But anyway, so sorry we've been taking a sabbatical, but we're back now. Um, I hope you guys like this episode. If you have any comments, suggestions, anything, send them our way. We are at uh, Project MK Gotcha on Instagram, Facebook, um, Gmail. Yeah, 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 we have a website. We're on all the common podcasting platforms. Send us your, tell us you hate us, tell us you love us, tell us what we should write about or what we should do next. Um, and we miss you guys. I'm really excited to be back. It just it's just wasn't the same without you. Yes, we're back. 2020. 2020. You know. 2020. 2020. <laughs> the new roaring 20s. Yes. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week. Uh, bye-bye.